Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman. I'm a marketing professor at the Foster School of Business here at the University of Washington. And every week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, as we talk to you about how to succeed in product management. And each week, we bring some of the best product managers in the world uh, together for a different topic each time. And the topic today is getting into product management from non-traditional backgrounds. And this is going to be helpful not only for those trying to get into product management, but those who have been in product management for years. And my question for Sumeya, who is our regular partner in crime here on how to succeed in product management, why do people who have been product managers for years need to know about uh, getting into PM from a non-traditional background and and what kind of skills to pick up if you come from a non-traditional background? Jeff, Red, a pleasure being with you every week. I love this room so much. Steven and Shaley, so good to see you here and everyone in the audience, good friends all around. I, I love this topic because non-traditional backgrounds are some of the best sources of PMs. They bring new thinking, they bring new perspectives. Sometimes they bring the customer focus that we need in a specific area that we're trying to go to. And so uh, more often than not, if you are hiring, if you are an experienced PM who's hiring or is mentoring or pairing with another PM who is coming in from a non-traditional background, I think it's important that you understand how to work with them, build that empathy that allows you to value what they're bringing to the table. Because some of the things you are used to from other PMs, they might not be bringing that in. So what else can you value or look for? And there's so much there. So I'm excited for us to have that conversation because it impacts not only the working culture, but also the hiring practices that we as PMs who really care about inclusion will be faced with. Do we just hire fellow PMs who match our own backgrounds or do we also open it up to other people as well? All right. That's Sumeya Benganam sharing insight after insight, day after day. But product executive with, I think, decades. I might be stretching it at least one decade and close to decades, if not past decades, of experience delivering products and, and managing amazing teams. Now I want to introduce Red. If you could tell people what that red circle means and red circle, what else? We need one more red thing that you could talk about. But take it away, Red. <laughs> well, I'm blushing, so I'm a little red right now, Jeff. But thank you. So my name is Red. The red dot, that red circle at the top of the screen, is because tonight's show will be recorded. And what does that mean for all of you? We started a podcast that you can find on either Spotify or Apple. All you have to search is how to succeed in product management. How great is that? And uh, we already have the last two episodes. If you are someone who has questions later tonight, you could become a star. Join the stage, ask questions, and then hit the airwaves afterwards. If you can't stay the entire time, that's fine too. Just go ahead and bookmark that location now in your podcasts, again, in Spotify or Apple, how to succeed in product management. 
And the other thing that is red tonight is also the color of one of the pieces of the Slack logo. That's right. There is a Slack invite I was telling everyone about. I'll repeat it again. DM me on Twitter and I'll give you a Slack invite for the group. The Weekend Product hosts this amazing group every week. And uh, you can get into that conversation with over 425 other product managers. So with that in mind, I'm here to support the community. I'm here to support everyone in this room to have their voices heard. And with that, we're excited to have a great show tonight. All right. So that's Red, founding advisory board member for the Product Management Center, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. Started here at the University of Washington, where Shaylee graduated from. Shaylee, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then tell us a little bit about your non-traditional journey to get into product management. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Thank you for having me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. So as Jeff said, my name is Shaylee. I currently work at Nike within their data analytics form or organization. And when it comes to non-traditional background of product management, that is because I actually have bachelor's in biology and used to work in a microbiology lab under the hood, different type of hood. And, you know, when I actually moved to Seattle and kind of found out how big this big technology sector is, made the transition into you know, technology, learning HTML and CSS, and then slowly but surely moving into being a manual tester for all the devices not so long ago. And now graduated from MBA from University of Washington. And I'm finally in the product management space after working in certain companies, big companies. So I can talk more about that a little bit down the road. So back to you, Jeff. Now, Stephen, you have literally written the book on product management. Oh, uh, this book is the <laughs> product manager's desk reference. And I'd say you have a, a non-traditional background in the sense that you kind of got into product management before product management was a thing, which you and I and the Product Management Center are trying to help define for people. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into writing this book. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And I'm honored to be here. So my background actually is in corporate finance, and I have my master's degree is in finance, and I spent the first couple of years of my career as a financial analyst. I worked in a defense firm, I worked in a medical products company, I worked for an intimate apparel company, but I ended up in this big corporation called AT&T, and I was doing some work in their data center business, and it was sort of like they had all these different services that they were charging for, but nobody really understood who the end user was or what they were trying to do. So I did this whole project for like a year, year and a half. And I said, we need to run a for-profit, non-profit inside of the company so that people are getting value that they're paying for and they're paying their fair share and all that stuff. And they said, wow, this is sort of like product management. You should go be a product manager. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And they said, oh, yeah, you do want to do that. So when your executive director tells you to go be a product manager, you go learn how to be a product manager. And I started out my career as a product manager for an international joint venture between Rico and AT&T. And then I moved into the big enterprise software space. And along that journey, I got invited to work on a corporate task force on product management excellence to go out and benchmark what other companies were doing when their products were more successful. And I worked on that task force in addition to my job for about five years. So learning product management best practices from a global perspective was great. And then I had this job oh, as a founding member of the CRM division at Oracle, where I moved to the Silicon Valley in 1997 as part of the sort of that whole dot-com thing, which is more astonishing from a career perspective than I would have ever imagined. But product management really wasn't 
well done in those days. And as that whole thing wound down, I had this idea, I'm going to go train product managers. And even when I started to train product managers, I realized, you know, it's not just about training. It really is about the structures that exist inside of a corporation to enable product managers to be successful. And fast forward a bunch of years to be respectful of time, but I've written extensively on the topic based on this ongoing research I do to always correlate what are the things that people do that results in the most positive outcomes. So books like the Product Manager Survival Guide, the Product Manager's Desk Reference, and even a new company I have called Business Acumen Institute focuses on helping people with practical guidance and how to do their jobs, regardless of where they came from. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I want to welcome Matt, who had promised me that he was going to troll us. So Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and troll away. What an intro. Thank you, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Always a pleasure to see you, Matt. I missed you. <laughs> no, missed you guys too. My name is Matt Hewlett. I'm the president of Rosetta Stone, the language learning company that you might have heard of. But I started my career out in product management, which is kind of unusual for those of you listening. I'm sure you'll hear a lot of stories around how you started the product management journey, probably in a different area. But I actually started out as a product management intern. I was a undergrad at the UW and got an internship at a local software company in Seattle, Washington, and learned my chops. Really kind of a market research bent product manager, so data analytics oriented before that was really more part of the job than it is today. And then went on to uh, become an executive. So I've been a president of a public company three times, a CEO of a private company twice. And I say that not to brag, I just say that to show that product management, in my opinion, I'm sure others on the panel will agree, is a great stepping stone for career development into as high as you want to go. So I'm happy to add any value that I can. And um, I'm very excited to actually meet and hear these new moderators. And Steve and I haven't read your book, but I'm excited to read it. So I'm very excited to be up here. Thanks for having me. That wasn't quite trolling. We were expecting a little drama. So I'm going to have to splash the waves here a little bit and put Shaylee on the spot, if you don't mind. You were at Disney. You're now at Nike. Got your uh, MBA at the University of Washington. And you're joined here by Steven, Sumeya, and Matt, product leaders themselves as well. What's a controversial opinion that you have regarding uh, non-traditional PMs? Do you have any thoughts, uh, any ideas or opinions that you think might be controversial that you want to float here in front of our other panelists? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've come across is, you know, what do you bring from your own non-traditional, non-CS background that would help you be a good product manager? And not only that, you know, like, why do you think you would make a good product manager to begin with? So yeah, I can I can start off there. So what's the controversial opinion? So the opinion is the why can somebody be a good PM? Yeah, and then because we don't necessarily know how to code, right? And so there is a controversial, well, basically a saying that if you don't know how to code, you can't be a good PM, technical or non-technical. So yes, I guess we can go back to that. Uh, right. Matt or <laughs> Sumeya or Steven, what do you think? Uh, let's do this on a scale of one to 100. How important is it to have a technical background? I'll let Sumeya chime in first, and then we'll go to Stephen and Matt. <laughs> you know, that question, to be honest, I was an engineer first. So I went to school for computer science and right out of school, uh, I did some of that work as a software engineer. But maybe because I always had that in my background, it didn't matter. And I have, I have to say that I have interviewed for a PM job 
at one company where they asked me about a SQL statement, I think a joint statement that I couldn't even remember. And I was disqualified because of that. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's that big of a deal anymore. But maybe it is. At least I have not been seeing it come up in the majority of the PM jobs in the market that I'm aware of or that my mentees talk to me about. So my answer to this is no, you don't need to have a technical background or come from a technical background. Yet there are some situations, for example, there are certain products that require that knowledge, such as machine learning product and others that really need you to understand the technical aspect of what you're building. Thank you, Samea. Steven, author of the Product Manager's Desk Reference, code or no code? Can you be a no code PM? Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, there's been a lot of controversy over the last few years. I sort of call it the East Coast versus the West Coast thing. Most small to middle-sized software companies require some degree of technical expertise. You must understand the ins and outs of your product and how it does what it's supposed to do. But for many companies, a lot of product managers, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, don't work in software companies. But in that area, you need domain experience. And there's sort of a, a crossover between what I call product management acumen and business acumen and technical or domain expertise. So it depends. I'll give you an example. I worked at a company that produced valves for atomic power plants. The product manager was a very serious atomic engineer, some kind of rocket science guy. Can't possibly be a product manager without that level of subject matter expertise. So there is a spectrum. In the survival guidebook, there's sort of this acumen assessment where when you get your sort of self-report, it's there's a, a scale of product management versus domain and how you may situate yourself. So coding, it may not matter in most environments. It could matter in a smaller startup, maybe to middle-sized company. I want to end with one key point. For companies that believe ultimately that product management is the business management of products and not the sort of in the development set of activities of products, they tend to be excelling farther in the marketplace than those that are not. All right. Thank you, Stephen Haynes. Good debate going here. Matt, the no-code PM, do you have anything new to add to this? I basically agree. I'd say maybe a 30 out of the 100. It's situational. Critical thinking skills is the most important. Here's an example. Like the questions I ask product managers are, you know, macro level critical thinking skills, like can you size things? Are you analytical? Like how many piano tuners are there in San Francisco? That's a question that I would expect a really good product manager to answer. Open up a socket and, you know, start doing some light programming. I don't. I would say statistics is becoming increasingly more important. Um, So I definitely go for data-driven and statistics skills as becoming a necessity because so much of what we can do now in terms of estimating and looking at product market fit, testing new products, you know, you need a, a little bit of quant skills. Not heavy, not like you're an R programmer, but I look for data analytics and critical thinking skills, not necessarily programming. All right. So our attempt for controversy fell flat as everybody's in agreement that the no-code PM is a thing, but not for everything. So some jobs, some products require some more technical backgrounds than others. So Sumeya, you're always good for a controversial opinion. What do you have for us that maybe Shaylee could comment on? Do you have any thoughts regarding 
uh, non-traditional backgrounds in product management that might be controversial? I am digging deep. <laughs> uh, this is a tough question. Um, I would say if I was to pick one area, but this is this is maybe traditional. So Scrum Masters are the ones I stay away from. When I knew this here, was here, 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 here. <laughs> Controversial opinion. It comes up every once in a while here on how to succeed in product management. <laughs> Stake your claim, Sumea, and let's get this debate going. But it's not, I mean, it's a traditional path. I've seen a lot of people make it, and yet they are my least favorite PMs to collaborate with. <laughs> and yet there are exceptions. So I'm going to just say that. I had this conversation the other day with one of my dear friends that I've worked with for some time. And he's like, yeah, I was a scrum master back in 20, I think 15 or 2014. I'm like, I did not know that. And so uh, maybe there is, there is room here for discussion, but I strongly stay away from scrum masters and I'm not representing VMware in saying this. So they do their own <laughs> analysis. I'm talking about prior areas where I was able to pick resumes and discard others. So just sharing that. All right. And it's a good time to have the disclaimer that everybody here on the panel is expressing their own personal views. They are not speaking for uh, the companies by which they're employed. But Shaylee, what do you think of the Scrum Master? Uh, is that a traditional path to PM? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Or where do you land on this controversy? That's a very good question. I certainly have actually gotten a Scrum Master Certificate, but didn't play or didn't practice it, if that makes any difference. Now, where do I land when it comes to if it's a bad thing to have or a good thing to have? I think it's good for me to understand what Scrum Masters do and how to basically cohesively work with them as a product manager, right? So it's good for me to have that certificate so I know what they actually do. But since I've never actually practiced as a Scrum Master and always have been a product manager in that capacity, I think it's good for me to know what they do and how to be a good teammate with them and what are our strengths and weaknesses and work off of that. Steven, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you able to describe for the people in the audience who might not be familiar with what Scrum or being a Scrum Master is? So briefly just share what Scrum Master is and then whether that mindset helps or hinders your growth as a product manager. Well, it's really interesting. Number one, I'm not a software product manager, but I'll tell you what I've learned from my research. Scrum masters tend to work inside of development shops. They sort of have a, a more of a both a project as well as a, a technical and a programming background. They are typically not product business types of people. So I have not seen any cases in my own travels where a Scrum Master has made it effectively into product management. All right. So a little bit of controversy, not too much, but we're getting there. We'll take it. Red, I think it's your turn to take the stage. Talk about the three Reds and go ahead. That's very nice. And I will say, by the way, Matt seemed very excited about that last opinion. Okay. Put stuff in your profile, right, Red? <laughs> That's right. Put stuff in your profile. So what Matt is trying to do is let everyone know this is now an opportunity for you to come up on stage and ask questions. There's only two requirements. One, there should be a picture of you so we know that you're human, unless you're AI. And even then, AI is capable of forming their own picture. And number two is your bio. Your bio should have something that has to do with running a business, product, 
product management. If there is anything else in there about your passion as a life coach or other items that are more about in general investments, you are less likely to be called up on stage. So even if just to change it for tonight's conversation, gear the bio towards products. And when you join the stage, make sure to mute yourself. So with that in mind, we're going to start inviting folks up on stage. Also, there is room in the Slack channel. So if you have already joined the Product Management Center UW's Slack channel, there is an actual channel called Events where we're going to be logging a lot of these questions and resources as they come up. If you do not have an invite to the Slack, please DM me directly. So with that in mind, we have two new people who have jumped up on stage, Chris and Heather. We're going to go in order of who's up on stage. I have to say, if you are invited up, there's only two reasons you'd be up here. One is you're probably someone who wants to throw in some advice. Other is you have a question. So with that in mind, Chris, with your incredible stargazing background looking out into the distance, what is it you uh, <laughs> want to add to the conversation today? Uh, hi, everyone. And hi, Sumaya. Hi. So I'm a product designer, UX designer. And so my question, I have a question. So the UX designer function as a whole is and has evolved a lot over the last decade, but I think there's still lots of room to grow and evolve as a function. So for the PMs that have worked with UX designers, my question is, what is the one skill that the UX function as a whole could improve on that would help you be a more successful product manager? So, so what skill do you think that you'd like to see them up-level in that would help you? Great question. Let's start with Shaylee, if I could put you on the spot. Do you have anything to add to this about how you would upskill the UX team to help you? Could you come back to me, Jeff? <laughs> I'm thinking yes. about it. Sure thing. I, Steven's ready I, to come off mute. I could, of course. Storyboarding. I think some of the, and it sounds really odd, but in some of the best design work I've done, I've seen really, really great storyboards that are visual. So you have to have a little bit of sort of, I guess, artistic expertise. That's something that I've seen can help uh, in that area. Hey, Stephen, can I ask a follow-up question on that? When you say storyboarding, what kind of stories do you like to see told in a storyboard? Is it like the customer experience? Is it the user interface flow? Is it, you know, business goals? I mean, can you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I go into something called, well, I didn't invent this expression, the day in the life of the customer. At the time that the customer is engaged in whatever that activity needs to be. So if it's, whether it's a shopping experience or, a, you know, a watching Netflix experience, you know, sort of what are you doing? How do you portray the day in the life of that person? Because as a user, I find that if they only had a sense of what I was really trying to do, all right, instead of something else. And I think that from what I have learned, and I, I have close sort of business client relationship with a guy who runs a product design company. And he works with both user interfaces as well as tangible products. And when you can portray visually through those storyboards what customers are trying to do at the time they're trying to do it, and it, it even goes to sort of a facial expression, right? What does a facial expression look like when a person is pissed off because an authentication round trip takes too long? Think of something that happens maybe in an ATM. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Does that help? Oh, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. Anyone else have any anything they'd like to share on this that have worked with product designers or UX designers? 
I was going to add something similar to Stephen, low-res experimentation. I've worked with startup teams and big-sized design teams. The willingness to do high-res at all costs drives me nuts. And I guess it kind of falls into storyboarding, but also low-res experimentation. Don't be afraid to try something that looks horrible. Probably, Chris, you don't have that problem, but that is a problem I see across the board, big or small. A lot of leaning towards high-res before it's ready for prime time. Now, why is that important, Matt? The presumption that you had it right in the first place in in terms of flow and UA, you waste a lot of time and effort putting beautiful work together that may not actually resonate with the persona you're going after or the problem you're trying to solve. And so if you can kind of get to a place where you can get to the atomic level and get that in front of a customer just to get some early data, that is where I like to be versus spending so much time up front going high res. That's really interesting. So I've been doing a lot of research in terms of sort of validation with customers. And what I am seeing and hearing is not very pleasant. Because if you you can't share a prototype or a sketch or anything with the intended person, you're never going to get the feedback. And companies seem to, you know, you sort of go, they go half, half the way. So they're going through the process, the development process, whether it's, you know, sketching or prototype, whatever, whatever it is and whatever resolution they're doing. But they don't have a stable of people who say, do you like this? Do you like that? You know, come and sit at the table and fly blind with me. See what it's like. I don't see enough of that taking place, to be honest. I'm not clear on what that means. Sorry. Are you agreeing that we need more of that sketching, Stephen? I think you need more customer involvement. Okay, that, got it. That they're, they're not being consulted in ways that, and I'm going to be very controversial, development teams fool themselves into thinking they have. I've completely seen what Stephen is saying. So the way I interpret these two comments, Stephen and Matt, in a way that is not contradictory, is that I think when a UX designer is working with the core product team in early ideation, like let's go scrappy. I mean, even like on a whiteboard, take a photo of a UI. Uh, paper even. But at the same time, let's try to involve users in a real way. Let's not fool ourselves. And sometimes with the users, maybe for that specific use case, you might do something a little more high fidelity because users get confused when they see something low fidelity. So I think it's about choosing the right fidelity at the right stage of the project and, and for the right goal. If Stephen or Matt, you disagree with what I just said, uh, please let me know. No, I, I agree. I, maybe I, I, an example will be helpful with what, what I think is a form of low-res that works. I was doing some early-stage work with Pioneer Square Labs. They're a startup accelerator studio out of Seattle. And I hired a very talented, I don't know if you're in the room, Jonathan, he's in Spain, a very talented game designer. And I got all hopped up. I have a, I'm a product manager by training. I got all hopped up with personas and once-needs analysis and everything. And he just called me down and he said, hey, why don't we play with a couple of concepts? And the concepts was basically a game idea around how to interact around an esports tournament. So kind of trying to create an ESPN for esports. And we tried a lot of different ideas ourselves. And then he said, why don't we go low res? And we literally built a tabletop game with paper. And we invited people in, you know, five sets at a time with different cohorts against the personas that we identified to play the game physically. And the game was like a spot betting for esports. And the first five groups, we totally flubbed, but we found out there was something we needed to tweak. And it was more around variable rewards, which was a big deal and is a big deal in game mechanics. 
And then we literally just tweaked the paper game. We made different cutouts and colored things differently and got to a place where we felt like, okay, now we can start physically designing it on the computer. That's an example, Chris, of low, low res. But that saved us a whole bunch of time because I was taking us down a direction that would have been the wrong direction. That's great. And what I like is that this ties in what Steven said and exactly what you said. So thank you, Matt. Thank you, Chris, for a good question. Uh, Red, I think it's time to keep it moving. Well, thank you. And, and Chris, I appreciate the contribution here. Heather, moving on to the next Q&A opportunity, somebody who consults product managers, do you have something you'd like to add or do you have a question for the moderators? The microphone and stage is yours. Thank you so much. I have a question, actually. So we've talked about part of an organization where maybe the best product managers don't come from. My question for you all is this. Someone approaches you in your product role at a company and they want to get into product management. What do you point them to? How do you tell them to get started? Red, why don't you throw a shameless plug down and then let Sumeya came off mute. So let's get to her and then Shaylee. Oh, that's not fair. I mean, shamelessly, I've been working for the last 10 years pretty much at a company that helps the world's best product managers at the world's best companies improve how they listen to their customers. Um, it starts with being proactive, right? There's technology that's out there. Um, my company, Aptentive, is not the only one, but if I was doing the proper thing of listening, I'm not a PM. So if I'm going to be a great listener right now, I'm going to actually defer it over to Sumeya, who is a product manager who can probably answer this question a little bit or with less bias, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the center, <laughs> the product. Jeff, why don't you talk at first about the center? So I gave second, Red a softball. I know. I know. I made <laughs> you correct. Just missed it well, for a second. To be, fair, to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> Heather, when I was hearing that question, I thought you were more referring to, Jeff, my background of community helping product <laughs> managers. And, and to be fair, Sumeya, I never pitched my own company. Like, I know. I was like, this doesn't seem right. But yeah. uh, the softball here is the Product Management Center at University of Washington is the best possible community. And yes, you can flip your mics on and off. But again, this is also biased. I am slightly redder than I am at normal, Heather. But uh, the Product Management Center at UW was designed specifically because the last 10 years when I've been working with product managers, they've all said they've been killing themselves to help other people in their community, their customers. But no one was helping them. Like, where do you go for community? I go to Reddit. Uh, I go to meetup groups. But that that's so random and sporadic. So thank you to Jeff for being the vision behind this for creating not only at, at a university level, but at a university level where you don't even have to be a part of the university to join it. So I hate to say it. There is nowhere else to go. It's just <laughs> University of Washington. But there, that's <laughs> the only resource I'm willing to recommend after shamelessly plugging my own company. My apologies. <laughs> In fairness, Red, your Thank company, Abtemptive, you. did help turn this into a podcast. And we did put Red on the spot last week telling him to pitch Abtemptive, which he's always shy to do. And he probably thought, I'm doing it again. But no, I was shamelessly asking you to plug, not me, I don't care about myself, but the Product Management Center. Now let's turn it over to Stephen, who also just happened to pour his life's work into a book that's also well, helpful. Stephen, well, uh, talk know, about your book and what else you recommend. There are a couple of – well, first of all, I run a training company, and I've trained 30,000 product managers in the last 20 years. That's not so bad, right? And I've written three editions of the desk reference and two editions of a survival guide. But I, I got to tell you, there are some foundational understanding and experience that product people or people who want to be product people need to do. And I'm going to break it down 
into what I call the product management lifecycle model, which is sort of what I use in my books, okay? Running it as an undercurrent to a product as a business runs what we call customer and market insights, which means across the entire lifecycle, customer needs ebb and flow. There are trends, there are things to watch with respect to the competitive environment, the economy, politics, you name it. Markets drive product businesses, okay? They also, those insights and the data of, from those insights inform your strategic direction from your, for your product's business, okay? So without that, how do you know how to actually steer the business? On the third leg of this important stool, if you will, are business performance metrics. What are the things, both financial and non-financial, that help stimulate and drive the product's business? So these three business pieces, customer market insights, strategy, and post what I call post-launch performance or product performance, drive and stimulate what you do, how you prioritize, how you make decisions about what to invest in and what not to invest in. How do you figure out what you want to develop and what do you want to get out the door and continue moving along? That is what I call a holistic perspective on a product's business from start to finish. And if you're a business person at heart, in your gut, you tend to make a better product manager. But I think it's such a good question. I'd like to get everybody's perspective on it, or uh, at least Shaley's. Do you have anything that you feel is important to somebody who's trying to break into product management from a non-traditional role? What's the first thing you would tell them to pick up, to learn, or to watch? Yeah. I mean, I asked them, you know, why product management? What do they do currently that would kind of transfer their skills from today's job into product management. I mean, for my instance, you know, coming from bachelor's in biology background, I am always, you know, forming hypotheses. I'm always paying attention to details, especially when it comes to different KPIs and metrics and all the things that you need to do in order for you to set not only the goals, but also be able to tell your executives how we're doing with the product and where we are at it. Um, and then last but not least, you know, kind of guide them in the directions of different books that I have read, as well as just tagging them along. I've also done the software product management certification course from University of Washington, and that also really helped me break into product management when I was at, actually at T-Mobile from being a vendor manager. So those are some of the things that I would ask and also point towards. I take a product manager's approach to all of this. So the the question, uh, I'm going to answer the precise question that I got, which is someone interested in a job within my company. So within my company, we have two types. We have internal facing R&D PMs and then external facing PMs. And so I have when I have this conversation with someone who's interested, first I want to understand which role are they more interested in? And then we pick one and then I, we do an assessment. So basically, a gap analysis where we understand what's required for the job and what do they have in terms of skills and wherever the skills uh, there are you know gaps or areas that they need to build up uh, then I give them recommendations on how they can do that and that can be anything from a course to doing volunteering with a not-for-profit and and thanks to our good friend Chris here Chris Chestnut for that tip to working, you know, moonlighting or doing a side a side hustle, working with a startup that helps them get some of those other skills. And some of the common gaps that I have seen over time, especially with people I mentor, are one, the analysis 
thing that Stephen brought up. So being able to just go through a lot of data, a lot of insights from customers and boiling that down to the orientation towards customers. Uh, so primarily being focused on what the customer needs and not letting the other noise distract you from that. And three is the communication aspect. So being able to take a lot of competing priorities or a lot of stakeholders and creating different communications approaches and different influence strategies so you can get the job done. So that's usually what I do. Rock on. A lot of great answers. Heather, thank you for that question and coming up to the stage. It means a lot that uh, you brought up community. So thank you. Yes. And, and thank you guys for what you're doing here. I love it. Love listening to you. Thank you, Jeff, for the Product Management Center. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Rock on. So with that in mind, we actually have a Slack Q&A. So we got a question coming in live from Sarah Gallo. Hopefully I'm saying the name correctly. Primary care clinician turned inclusive product focused entrepreneur. Sarah had asked, if you have translational skills of a product manager from a different field, but don't know the vocabulary, the ecosystem, the organizational structure, where do you go to learn all of this? So that is a question for the moderators from Sarah Gallo. So Sumaya, you came off mute. The connection is yours. I love this question. <laughs> and the reason I do is because it's at the core of a lot of the inclusivity that we speak about, but requires us to do some hard work to actually get there. So when we're talking about, you know, creating pathways and being inclusive, and I think about this, not just from the perspective of a PM, but also a startup founder and an investor and someone who advises startups. Because the language we use within specific ecosystems is so different. And unless we pay attention and we ask really layered questions, we can miss true talent and not be as inclusive as we mean to be. So what does that mean? <laughs> this is, again, something I work with my mentees on. The language that's specific to product management we all know it. We, we've gotten used to it. Uh, it's second nature to us. But how do we teach others to use that language to basically convey, for example, the skills that they've used or the skills that they've gained? So someone, for example, who coordinates an athletic group, and this is someone I worked with in the past, she coordinated athletic activities in her university. How do you talk about that from a product management perspective? How do you talk about managing stakeholders instead of just managing a team? Uh, how do you talk about providing value to the customer versus setting up trips for athletes and just paying attention as someone who interviews and who is a gatekeeper to our world, to the other skills that people have that basically translate to product management, I think becomes really important. So I agree with that point. And I just, uh, what I shared right now were just a couple of examples of how I try to do it tactically, but I think there is systematically, there is a lot of work to be done. All right. Good point. And then Shaylee, did you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, same thing as Somaya said, you know, just second her findings and her opinion. And also just finding out how does the product lifecycle work? And then if there is a way for those product managers to actually take a look at that and then transfer those skills Right. I mean, as Somia said, you know, transferable skills, meaning managing teams versus managing stakeholders, which is same thing, but in a different context that actually doesn't exist. So 
All right. Thank you, Shaylee. And now I want to just take a quick moment to acknowledge that this stage has been rapidly filled up with the Product Management Center advisors. So Matt's helping us take the Product Management Center at the University of Washington to the next level. Uh, Sumeya and Diego recently joined the advisory board. Diego, I want to give you a shout out because you spend countless hours of your time helping people prepare for interviews. So could you maybe chime in on this question of learning the language, what PMs can do to help others learn the language so that we can access the best talent rather than just the talent who's uh, found their own way to figure out how to talk like a PM. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for that, Jeff. I'm super happy to be part of this initiative. Hello, everyone. My name is Diego Granados. I'm currently a PM at Microsoft working on AI and machine learning. And like Jeff mentioned, thank you so much for the kind words. I did create content for aspiring PMs. So one of the things that I always recommend when trying to connect with companies, connect with the product manager role, connect with the different industry, if you have spent you know, countless years on your own industry or on you know, a specific type of job and you don't know how to speak the language that PMs do. So one of the things that I always recommend is the networking side of it. And it's, it's not about just connecting with the hiring managers or waiting until you, know, you have an interview, but it's about being curious about what a product manager does at different companies. You're not going to get the same answers, the same words, the same lingo, the same vocabulary, the same concepts at a startup. Then you will get that at a B2B company, at a large tech company, at a B2C product, at a you know game developer type of company. So my recommendation there is be curious about, for example, if you're interested, I'm going to use you know Microsoft where I work as an example. If you're interested to work for Microsoft, the first thing that I would do is Start by networking, find product managers or program managers, as Microsoft calls us, find PMs, you know, parts that you're interested in. Maybe it's the Windows devices, maybe it's Azure, maybe it's Xbox, and send connection requests. And through these conversations, your goal, even if your end goal is to actually, you know, get a referral, get an interview, you should never start there. You should start being curious about what does a PM do at their job. And naturally, through these conversations, you will start hearing about how some groups will use things such as you know, Agile versus others are going to be more waterfall, or how some of them use Kanban boards in Azure DevOps, and all these keywords that you're, are going to give you that idea of how PMs talk in their day-to-day. And it's not rocket science in the sense that you don't have to prepare complicated questions. It's more about finding out how do they work, what does the team look like, how does their team operate on a day-to-day, the job of the PM, how deep into the technology they go, or how much they stay away and if there is another PM that helps them through the engineering team. And so these networking conversations to me, or these coffee chats to put in another term, to me, these are a key to understand PM. As much as you want to read books or read or watch videos or read articles, to me, there's nothing that beats actually connecting with people and just talking with them. Nonetheless, all of this is also going to give you tools for your interviews. But connecting with people through these coffee chats, to me, is key to breaking into PM and learning about the role. All right. That was Diego Granados, who's on the advisory board for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. This episode is all about shameless plugs. I'm going to do the shameless plug for Diego. He has a wonderful library of videos that he's done on interviewing for PM roles. Check out his bio and subscribe to his channel on YouTube. And also, he has his own Clubhouse show, I think, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for that shout out, Jeff. Not this week. We're actually having an internal group session to see what's going to be the rest of this year in terms of Clubhouse and other activities. But typically with Felix, another board member, by the way, of 
of the Product Management Center. We host every Wednesday, 5.30 Pacific time and every Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific time to different clubhouse sessions to all to help other PMs and aspiring PMs. All right, so check those out. And then Red, no shameless plugs, just shameless action. Do your thing. See if you can get us a question before we get to concluding thoughts. That's right. We got room for one more and you've been waiting so patiently as an edutechie entrepreneur. Ahmed, the stage is yours for a question, please. Hello, guys. So I have two topics I, I wish you guys discuss in, in later uh, discussions. The first one is product uh, management. When you have a team from an internal and outsource engineers and the politics between the product management and the project management regarding this outsource engineer and how to manage this kind of teams. The second topic I wish you guys to discuss also is hardware product management. When you are managing a product with like a mechanical, electronic, and software board. So two topics I wish you guys give it more attention in future uh, discussions. Thank you. Sumeya, I saw you jump off. Is this in relation to the physical product or the outsourcing and the <laughs> of that? Or both? Uh, well, the, the physical product one is one that I did say that we're going to do a room on that topic and I have not pulled it together yet. So that's something definitely worth discussing. There are so many dynamics to hardware products that are different than software. Experimentation looks different. Of course, capital resources look different and, and the team composition looks different. So I think it's definitely worth having a conversation. And that's to say, I don't have an answer, but Stephen probably does. Yeah, I do. You know, I've managed physical products, physical and digital products, and pure software. And, you know, when you're managing a physical product, you have to understand what the requirements are. You understand have to understand how products like that are actually built. Um, you have to work really closely with your engineering organization. You also have to work with operations and factory people because you have to figure out how is this thing going to get built how much is it going to cost to get built? Where is it going to get built? How do you set up a production line and establishing cost models? Those are sort of the very high-level things. The second part of that is if you have a physical product with like controls or other digital aspects, you have to figure out how to integrate and test collectively. So sometimes you have wheels of an organization that sort of spin out of control where the physical planning development happens at one speed and the software development happens at another and the software development tends to go faster. And I'll tell you a story about a guy I interviewed who worked in a company that made hard pacemakers. He said, you know, you could develop as much software as possible that runs that pacemaker, but I ain't producing something that goes into somebody's body until the whole thing is integrated and tested. So it's a lot more complicated, and the cross-organizational relationships can be very complicated. So it's a challenging and very, very interesting kind of a job in product. Uh, thank you, Stephen. So uh, I have this kind of experience of, of, of management, several Kickstarter hardware projects, and that's why I see like a lot of uh, hardware startups are failing because there is no understanding of the difference between managing a hardware project and the time plan for the hardware project versus the software. Sumeya, do you have time for concluding thoughts before you bounce to somewhere else? <laughs> Absolutely. If anyone is really interested in product management and you have passion for solving problems and you want to focus on customers, then finding a path to product management is definitely possible. So customer and problem solving together, 
it really is a great starting point. And then everything else is ornamental, but also comes with experience. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Jeff. All right. Again, that's Samaya Benganam. Thank you so much for being here every week on How to Succeed in Product Management Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Sumeya brings insight after insight. And today we were joined by three amazing product leaders, two scheduled and one who promised to troll us but did not, but still gets a chance for concluding thoughts. But first, I'm going to turn to Stephen. Do you have any concluding thoughts as we discussed uh, non-traditional paths to PM and, and how to make it once you're there? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think we become a student of business. And if we understand how the gears of an organization works, just think a product is a business inside of a business. So any of those entrepreneurial skills that you need to understand in running a business is what's needed for product management. And I really appreciate the time that I was able to spend with you guys today. And I hope I get to join you again soon. All right. Thank you, Stephen. Check out his book, The Product Manager's Desk Reference. I'd imagine he'll be back given how much insights we all learned from him today. Uh, Shaylee, do you have any concluding thoughts? Hey, first, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. And also stay curious and, you know, always ask questions. And the answer is always no, unless you ask. So there you go, friends. Thank you again for having me. All right. Another University of Washington graduate at Disney, but now is at Nike. Uh, so follow Shaylee if you want to hear more from her on product management and connect with her on LinkedIn. I just threw that out there. Hopefully you're open to that, Shaylee, but I think we all benefit when we connect. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. Connect. She's brilliant, and it would be great for you to continue chatting with her and learning from her. And then Matt, you promised to patrol, but you're so much more than that. Any concluding thoughts? Well, you know, Jeff, I haven't heard such a nice compliment since I talked to my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife. No, I'm just thanks for having me up here, and it was great to have such wonderful moderators up here. I'm going to make a couple of plugs. One is for the uh, Product Manager Center at the University of Washington. As Red mentioned earlier, Jeff has done a phenomenal job with bringing together amazing leaders and amazing thinkers. It's just a high-quality organization to be involved with, and the community is fantastic. So I encourage everyone to join the Slack channel. The second plug is I'll be joining Red CEO tomorrow, Wednesday at noon PST with Sumeya, to talk about how to turn customers into super fans. And we're going to crack open some key inside baseball and frameworks on how that can happen. And just lastly, I love product management because at the end of the day, the person who understands the customer better than anyone else is the most important person. And product management is one of those opportunities that you get that visibility across the organization and have so much real influence in a company. So I encourage anyone that's interested in it, keep pursuing it, find a mentor, and stay hungry around that goal. So that's all I have to say. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for being here. And so much more, president of Rosetta Stone, a University of Washington graduate, and somebody who's just been deeply invested in the product management community for years. So not just an internet troll. (laughs) And he may not help me anymore now that that was the introduction, not once, but twice. But you did promise some drama, and we didn't get as much drama as we expected, but uh, we did get some excellent insights. So thanks for being here, Matt. Diego, any concluding thoughts? Yeah, first, thank you so much for inviting me, even if, even if it was for a few minutes. I hope I get to join you uh, and the team here on other sessions. So a little bit of, a, I'm cooking something new for aspiring PMs. And one of the things that I can share for now is that I've interviewed somebody who spent 10 years on the same industry, somebody who comes from being a professional basketball player, an opera singer, uh, a student without engineering background, and they've all have transitioned into product management. 
Uh, what I'll share with you today is the top things that they shared on what helped them the most was building site project, networking, and volunteering opportunities. So it doesn't matter your background. You don't have to have the engineering degree. You don't have to have the technical knowledge and know how to code. You have to be comfortable with technology and you can break into PM. Happy to connect on LinkedIn. I'll keep you updated on this new project, but it will be for any aspiring PM who thinks that they need to have an engineering degree or a or a traditional background to break into PM, and hopefully these stories will prove you wrong. Thank you, Diego, and thanks for your hard work uh, as an advisor to the Product Management Center at the University of Washington, which was founded with Red's help. So Red, do you have a chance for concluding thoughts? It's such an honor that everyone, not only people who joined us on stage with questions, but you, the moderators, made time to do this. I, I can't speak to it enough. There's a huge opportunity here, not just with the Slack, not just with the podcast, but University of Washington putting their time behind this. There's a big opportunity to create an amazing community for product managers. And every one of you being here tonight really means so much that we're on the right track to servicing the bigger community. So it, this is just a concluding thank you. And excited to see you all next Tuesday at 4 p.m. because we're going to be here every week because product managers tell us to do that. <laughs> so with that advice, <laughs> That's right. Oh, Red, thank you so much. It's always good to have you here. Thank you, everybody, uh, for being a part of this. As has been said several times, uh, the Product Management Center at the University of Washington is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. We have interdisciplinary faculty, and we're going to work together with the best product managers in the world to create new knowledge, not just share what's already there, but blaze the path of the future for product management. And we are on a mission to make a more diverse, a more inclusive, and a more skilled product management community. So if you're here to learn, DM Red there to join our Slack channel and come back every Tuesday at 4 p.m. If you've made it, if you're one of those people, like countless people that I've heard who clawed their way to figure out product management and want to give back so that the next generation doesn't need to claw so hard, but they'll have a guiding hand, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let's connect. I'd love to plug you in either by uh, having an Ask Me Anything on our Slack channel or uh, being a guest on our Clubhouse show, or finding another way that you can impact the next generation of product managers. Together, we can build a better future, and that's going to start with you. So thanks for being here. Tune in next week. And thank you, Stephen, Shaylee, Matt, Diego, and Red. It's always a pleasure to see such brilliant people come together and share their ideas. So thanks, that is Jeff. all for today's show. Thank you. <laughs>